We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to another episode of the Budding Heads Podcast on Rams Talk Radio. This is episode 12. They're flying by. I'm Steve Ribeiro. I'm here with Johnny Gomez. Johnny, we, we got to watch the Rams on Thursday. So how was your weekend without Rams football? It was slightly depressing, honestly. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you, you get so used to seeing the Rams win. It's like, man, I need I need to... I need to see some Rams football. And you almost start to twitch a little bit for not seeing Rams football. But it's all right. I mean, as long as there's football on. Yeah, and and the Chiefs played last night, so we didn't get to see any of the league's elite on Sunday because, you know, it's a two-man race, obviously, right now. Uh, We don't talk to those that have zeros or don't have zeros in their loss columns. So we got to watch some of the lesser teams in the NFL play. So that was fun, right? Um, but before we get into it, let's give a shout out to where you can find this podcast. We are on Spreaker now, guys. So if you're on Spreaker, that's where you can find us. We usually go live 
post-game podcast. So after every Rams game, you're probably going to find a Rams Talk episode on Spreaker going live. Usually it'll be Derek and Norm. Last Thursday it was me and Johnny. Also, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, and on IE Beat Radio where our show airs Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And, of course, guys, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, which is where most of our listeners come from, if you haven't given us a five-star review, please do. We are giving away a $100 now, if I heard Derek right on his podcast this week, $100 gift card to the NFL shop where you can get yourself some Rams gear once we hit 100 iTunes reviews, and that's only going to be for the people that have reviewed us. All right, so we're going to start this podcast with some actual news and the probably the biggest Rams storyline of the year, and that is who our backup kicker is. After a rough afternoon, the Ram, or afternoon, a rough evening on Thursday night, the Rams moved on from kicker Sam Thicken, who had been a camp body in Zerline's replacement last season and this season, and brought in Cairo Santos. So, Johnny, how you feeling about Cairo? It's an interesting pickup, but I have to say I am a lot more comfortable with Santos than Ficken for good reason. You got to understand that Ficken is not the answer for the Rams, and it's very obvious when you have the Rams special teams coaches not, you know, comfortable th- throwing him out there and then ultimately cutting him before Zerloin comes back. I-, I mean, it's not even that it's that long away. It's just that Ficken was so unreliable that the Rams just felt the need to sign somebody that they think is going to be more reliable. And and I have to agree, Santos is going to probably be the more reliable kicker of the two. Yeah, I'm with you. And the thing that stood out to me is, I I mentioned this briefly on the post, or not briefly, we kind of talked about it in depth on the post-game podcast last week. The Sam Ficken, they're not even like letting him kick kicks that are maybe 50 yards is not even in the conversation. He tried a 46-yarder against the Chargers in Week 3, and in his two years with the Rams, that's the longest kick they let him try. So with Cairo Santos, he tried eight 50-yard attempts in 2015 with the Chiefs. He's only only got four years under his belt, obviously wasn't with the team right now. So at least that shows me that his teams are confident enough to give him some range. And that's really all I'm looking for is that you don't need to be Greg Zerline because he's one of the best kickers in the league, and you're probably not going to find him in the waiver bin. But you should be able to at least have the ability to have when you know we go three and out or whatever in a 40 or 50-yard field goal area, light 50s, any of the 40s. We should be confident enough to have a kicker that we can throw out there and let him kick from anywhere pretty much that – You'd be letting Zerline kick from, even if the odds of it going in are slightly less because Zerline is a great kicker and his one of the most powerful legs in the league. But as long as you can get it through the uprights at a decent clip from 40 and 50 yards, that's okay with me. That That's really all we're looking for. And to, um, 2017 last year, he only attempted one kick from beyond 50 yards, but he, he only played in five games. 2016, two for two from 50 yards. 2015, four for eight. And in um 
In 2016, he was 6 for 7 from 40 to 49 and 11 for 9 from 40 to 49 in 2015. So clearly, the teams are at least giving him some range. Uh, as far as I'm familiar with Cairo Santos, he doesn't have the most booming leg in the league. But for, by all accounts, it seems like Zerline is going to be back sooner than later. Not this week, is it doesn't seem like, obviously, with this move. But I, I'm just glad that they got rid of Thicken for the reason that it didn't seem like they were confident in him at all. And if you're not confident in your kicker, why even is he your kicker? Like I said, and if you listen to the podcast Thursday, I'm kind of repeating myself, but it's not like the Shaw Mannion situations where he knows the system and he's been there, so you should keep him around as your backup. Just because Ficken's been around, there's no, field, there's no system for field goals. So bring in a guy who's clearly a better player than Ficken and let us – kick more field goals next week that that's all i gotta say about it hopefully there's not so many field goals and there's just more you know extra point attempts i'm with you and we'll get to the week five preview but i i think we'll be knocking on that door next week if history can tell us anything also some rams news um less less fortunate news here dominic easily is heading to the ir Obviously, things in his young career have not gone well with injuries, but to, to not really dwell on Easley, because obviously it's tough for him and we don't need to kick him while he's down. How are you feeling without Easley about the Rams' depth in the defensive line and outside linebackers' positions? Defensive line, I'm not too concerned about. It's more along the lines of linebacker. It's an already extremely thin core of linebackers, and it just keeps getting younger and younger and more inexperienced as you have these veterans going out with injuries. Easily, I, I got to say, I, I feel for this guy because, as you mentioned, this this guy doesn't have the best luck when it comes to staying healthy. And it's coming to the point where, like, I, like, I don't want to kick him while he's down, but you, you have to question, is this a guy you want to – try and keep bringing back when he's just so injury prone. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to think the Rams may have to consider looking at other options because him going out year after year like this is not helping this team at all. It, it's sad to kind of think of things like this, but it, at the end of the day, the NFL is a business. No, unfortunately it might be it for easily, man. It's injuries do pile up. This is his, he spent more time on the IR in his career than he spent on the field. So I feel for easily. And from a depth perspective, yeah, we're we're going to need Okoronko when he comes back kind of desperately at that position. We have Ebukam and we have Longacre and you know, we're mixing in Franklin Myers and guys like that on the outside. Our D-line, a lot of, we see the, the big three out there more often than not. So... It's, it is definitely a position of need that we knew it was going into the season, and it still is. And with Easley heading to the IR, I'd like to see them bring in another outside backer, even if it's just for two games until Okoronko comes back. And, you know, at the same time, we he, he is far from a sure thing. I, I like the pick of Okoronko, but we, we have no idea for, I believe he was a fifth rounder. You can't bet on that to be the sure thing in your depth. You You have to have an alternative. And with... A guy like Easley going out, it, it would definitely be beneficial to bring some someone in. Anyways, we are going to continue these Rams talk 
But before we do, we are going to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, and that is Jim Hawk's excellent book, Hollywood's Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Ram. This book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim Hawk's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman from, on the team from 1953 to 1957. This is a great book for anyone who wants to learn a bit more about the Rams' history with a bit of a personal touch from Jim. It's a story of a... It's a son's story of his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebound players like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, Les Richter, and this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at Hollywood's Team and on Twitter at Hollywood's Team. It's available in both hardback and electronic format, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can also find Hollywood's Team through various other book sites on the internet. Guys, this book is worth every penny. For any Rams fan out there, but it's also just a great story about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. Trust me, guys, you won't regret giving this book a chance. It's called, again, it's called Hollywood Team Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s LA Rams, Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. All right, so I wanted to talk about the Rams, how they stack up in terms of statistically with the rest of the league from a team's stats perspective through. Four games, a quarter of their games they're going to play all year. Rushing-wise, they are the fifth best rushing offense in the NFL. Todd Gurley is second in rushing, first in total touchdowns, along with Alvin Kamara and Calvin Ridley. Johnny, this is just me kind of being curious here, but I need to ask you this. Can you name the four teams ahead of the Rams in rushing yards, team rushing yards? Team rushing. I'm going to give you some bonus points if you do because it – the top five surprised me very much, and I I think it'll surprise our listeners if they haven't looked this up too. I'm gonna say Dallas Cowboys. Yep, they're number three. That's definitely the the one I'd be able to pick out. I think out of this five. Yeah, Zeke uh, kind of has things going there. Le- league leader in rushing yards, Zeke Elliott. Gurley second. Oh man, I'm drawing a blank here. Um. You're, you're going to be shocked when I tell you this. You want me to tell them? Yeah, just go ahead because okay. I'll be here all day. Yeah. The Rams are fifth. The 49ers are fourth. Dallas is third. Denver is second. And Cleveland is first. Before the year, if you told me that was going to be the top five teams in rushing, especially after Jarek Mahinen got injured, I would have laughed pretty hard. I mean, that that's just a mind-blowing stat that Cleveland is the only team right now with over 600 team yards rushing actually you know the the browns doesn't surprise me so much as the the 49ers do the reason being is because i was a huge fan of carlos hyde and i thought it was a huge mistake for the 49ers to let him walk uh i mean i was happy don't get me wrong because he always did relatively well against the the rams but yeah you know with with hyde there and you know, Chubb, I think, is going to be, you know, something special in this league. It doesn't surprise me at all. And then, of course, you have Duke Johnson, you know, there as well. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me too, too much. But like you said, uh, the 49ers won. Huge surprise. Beretta actually is turning out to be a much better running back than anyone anticipated. And Morris isn't doing too bad himself. Breda is third in the NFL in rushing, which is that's, – that's pretty wild to me. And Denver being second – with their dual threat of Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. You know, 
good for them. I, I did not see that one coming. I, I know a lot of people were high on Royce Freeman. I liked him, but I wouldn't say I would have expected him to be the second leading rusher over 200 yards in the second best rushing offense in the league. But it is what it is. So the the Rams, obviously, their rushing offense is great. Their passing offense is even better. They have the second most passing yards in the league behind Tampa Bay. And I'm just going to assume with Jameis coming in, that's going to change. Jared Goff is second in the league in passing yards behind Ben Roethlisberger. And to be honest, I'm not sure how ESPN stats work because that I might have to dig in a little deeper to that to see how the correlation is that Roethlisberger is first in passing yards, but third in team passing yards. Either way, the Rams are near the top. They're number one in total offensive yards and second in scoring behind the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Johnny, I want to ask you, it it's us, probably us and the Chiefs in the upper echelons of these offenses. Do you think this is the most high-powered offense in the league? Absolutely. You know, the, the Rams are, without a doubt, one of the top offenses in the league, if not the top. And the only other team, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for Pittsburgh – but I, I would say still, you know, the only other team that comes close is Kansas City. And I, we'll see, you know, if Kansas City can keep this up. It's always been a trend for the Kansas City Chiefs that they start off super strong. And then towards the end of the season, they just kind of taper off. So I, I'm really intrigued with this Rams offense because, you know, even looking at it from a fantasy point of view, I remember a time where, there wasn't a single Rams wide receiver that I would want to start, not even their number one starter, you know, the Kenny Britt era. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember it all too well. Oh yeah. And now you're looking at three legitimate receivers that can con- contribute and do very well on your fantasy team, like Cooper cup, Brandon cooks, Robert Woods, you know, that's insane. And all, all of it has to do with a great offensive line and Jared Goff continuing to impress every single week. And I'm intrigued how he progresses even more as the season continues. Yeah, all three Rams receivers went for over 100 yards last week, and they all scored. So if you started any of them, you were beyond happy with their performance. It's, that's about as good as it can get. I, you mentioned Pittsburgh, and I will say this, now that we know when Le'Veon Bell is coming back, Maybe when he comes back, they'll be in this conversation. But they are 28th in the NFL in rushing right now. Uh, John Connor, the James Connor, sorry, the anointed one after one good game. It, it's not happening there. He's not Le'Veon Bell. And Bell kind of proving here that we thought that it was just the Steelers were in a rushing system. You know, we saw D'Angelo Williams do it. We saw James Connor do it. Le'Veon Bell's making some money right now with how bad the Steelers rushing offenses, but I'm with you in that. I do think it is really the chiefs and the Rams at the top. And in terms of total yards, the chiefs don't stack up as well as the Rams do there. They're eighth overall in total yards. They're 13th in rushing yards and in passing yards, they are ninth. So they're first in scoring though. And the reason they're low in these total yards is because they're getting the ball in good good position and they're not that low let's quit they're not that low they're just scoring quickly they're getting the ball in good spots and they're making the most of it and they're scoring and that's why they're leading the league in scoring 
But I do think overall we probably have the better offense. The, you know, Mahomes, he's looked fantastic. I still might say we have the better quarterback, but even if it's a toss-up, we have the better running back. We have the better offensive line. I think we have the better receivers. Even Tyreek Hill might be the best of the bunch, but I think I would lean towards Cook. They do slaughter us at tight end. I will give them that. But if we take our top three receivers and their top three receivers, I think we'd have a slight edge, and that's including Kelsey, but it's probably a wash. And even if quarterback and receivers are a wash, we definitely win it running back, and we win an offensive line. So th- it's just it's awesome to watch this offense. And now defensively, we're 10th in total yards, and we're 6th in points allowed. It's not as pretty as the offense will be. And without Aqib Tlaib, without Easley, but getting Mark Barron back, do you think that these defensive numbers will go up in coming weeks, or do you think they'll fall? You know, losing Tlaib was was a lot bigger blow than a, a lot of people realized it would be. And evidence was, you know, this past game, of course, they were going up against a high-flying, you know, Vikings offense. So I do think that as the season goes on, things will get better. Mark Barron, I do think, will improve things a lot because he's really one of the few veterans in the linebacking core. So, you know, this is going to help us so much to have him back on the field. Although I think it'd be a little unfair to kind of expect the same Mark Barron that we saw towards the end of the season last year. Because as much as I'm sure he stood in shape and everything, there's still no comparison as to the rest of the league that's just been playing, you know, week in and week out. So I I would say still give Mark Barron a little time to get back to the swing of things because it's going to take a bit, I think. Yeah, and he deserves the time to get back in the swing of things. You know, I I think his past past, – Wow, why am I drawing a blank on this word? His, his coverage, coverage, all that for coverage. His coverage will be very useful in the linebacking core. You know, Littleton and Ramick Wilson are not nearly the guys in pass coverage that Barron is. I know they use Marky Christian a bit. He's he's more in that Barron mold, but Barron's pass coverage will be felt. His you know, run stopping, I think it will get some t- take some time for him to really get back in the mix. And in general, it might take some time for him to get back in the mix, but I'm uh, I'm just happy to get him back, man. I think he will be felt. His presence will be felt in the linebacking core. And Corey Littleton has done a great job stepping in. He He's going to be the starter all year. I know he's not really stepping in, but stepping up as the Rams' number one linebacker. And I will say this. The run defense is seventh in the league right now in total rushing yards. And they have played good running backs. They've played Melvin Gordon. They've played David Johnson. They played Marshawn Lynch, and they played Dalvin Cook, who is another topic, and I guess Latavius Murray in there. So it's not like they've been playing slouch running backs. They're seventh, and over the well, I would say they're going to play like some of the lesser running backs. But as we talked about, Denver and San Francisco are the two top two of the top running offenses in the league. So we'll see how that goes. But I. Right now, I am confident in how the Rams' defense will shake out. And I'm not overly concerned about that. 
But we can move on here to the bigger picture, and I know you wanted to get to this, Johnny, is the NFC West as a whole right now. The Rams are 4-0. The Seahawks are 2-2. The 49ers are 1-3. Obviously, the injury to Garoppolo is not helping them. C.J. Beathard is a quarterback. And the poor Cardinals are 0-4. So it would be one of the more shocking things I've ever seen if the Rams didn't win the division this year. And as I always say, I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth and they were not a lie. How do you feel about the rest of the teams in the division right now just at a glance? You know, it's it's kind of funny because even though the Seahawks are, have two wins under their belts, which still surprises me a little bit, uh, there's no point. You, you're looking at the Rams just kind of, you know, sprinting ahead for the finish line and, you know, just leaving these three teams in the dust. You know, I, I don't – I'd be really surprised to see if any one of these teams, I, I guess Seattle – would probably be the team that could potentially squeak their way into the playoffs, but I highly doubt it. Like this, the Rams are running away with this division, and bearing in mind there's no, you know, major setbacks here, there's absolutely no threat to the NFC West division title. There's just absolutely no threats at all. And, you know, you, if, even if you look past Seattle, I, I can't see San Francisco winning without Garoppolo or McKinnon. You know, I know Breda's doing a really good job along with uh, Morris, but even then, it's they're not they they're not that great of a team. And then you go and look at Arizona Cardinals, and man, you know the the kind of the interesting thing going into the year. I kind of figured that the Arizona Cardinals weren't going to be that great of a team, but they just look awful. Like I, they might very well be one of the worst teams in the league. And while they did have a much better game than they have had recently, uh, you know, Johnson came back for a little bit for, for a short while there, we kind of saw a little breath of life in Johnson. (sighs) I just, you know, Hopefully the chosen Rosen can uh, kind of lift up their spirits, but I I, I don't think it, it'll happen, man. The the Cardinals I will give them a little bit of credit here, and they've lost their last two games by a combined five points. One of them was to Seattle, who's not very good. One of them was to the Bears, who just absolutely torched the um. Why am I drawing blank? Tampa Bay last week. So to hold. An offense that could scorch Tampa Bay, whose defense is not good, but still scorch them the way they did to hold them to 16 points. We'll give Arizona a little bit of credit. They've bounced back a little since that Rams game. I think it's hard to argue that they're not the worst team in the league. You know, what the other options would be like Buffalo, but even Buffalo got that win against Minnesota. Arizona has no wins. They're the only team in the league with no wins. Some of the one-loss teams who you, you're not going to even argue are worse than Arizona. You got, like, Atlanta. You got the Giants. The Steelers. Or Steelers are 1-2-1. One, and one. Those teams are not worse than Arizona. And until they get a win, they have to be the worst team in the league. I think it's just said, said and done. But I think their win will come. And it, it might, if it's not against San Francisco next week, 
I don't know when their win's going to come. Their next four games, San Francisco, Minnesota, Denver, San Francisco. They have the bye. Kansas City, Oakland, Chargers, Packers, Lions, Falcons, Rams, Seahawks. That, that is not a fun schedule for a team like Arizona. They'll probably win one of those San Francisco games. Maybe they sneak one out against Denver. Maybe they sneak one out against Oakland or Detroit. But this is a team that's probably going to win like three games. Now, San Francisco, for all for all of the slack we can give them, they're 1-3. But their biggest margin of defeat was an eight-point loss to Minnesota in week one. Or sorry, they lost by 11 to the Chiefs. But still, they lost by 11 to the Chiefs. It's a very good team. Last week with C.J. Beathard, they lost by two to the Chargers in a game that was very winnable up until the last second. They got Arizona this week. They're probably going to win. And then they have the Packers, the Rams. So they're going to get down here a little bit record-wise, but... This is who they end the season with after they play the Rams in Week 7. At Arizona, home against Oakland and the Giants, at Tampa Bay, at Seattle, home against Denver, home against Seattle, home against Chicago, and at the Rams. They might wind up with five or six wins, and we're going to look at this and be like, how did they win so many games? But they're well coached. They have more talent than you you think they do. It's always surprising when guys on their team kind of flex how talented they are. C.J. Beathard is not the worst quarterback, but he's not bad for a backup. Hell, he's way better than our backup, and (laughs) (laughs) I had to say it. You know, those 49er games, I I don't think we're going to lose them, but they might end up more of a trap game than we'd like to think they would be. But is he better than Johnny Hecker? That's a great question. If he's throwing (laughs) to Josh Reynolds, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) oh man you had to bring up Reynolds we had to we you know I'm not forgiving him yet he's got to make a play he's got to make a play for me to forgive him I don't I don't know if he's gonna be forgiven that easily man (laughs) Uh, but yeah it's this is a bleak division right now man and Seattle I agree with you they're the most likely to make a playoff run unless the the 49ers, after those couple of games, pull a miraculous string of victories together. Arizona, it's not happening. But Seattle has Russell Wilson. They have Pete Carroll. They have better running backs than we like to give them credit for that a lot of times they don't like to give the ball to. So we'll see. I mean, and we're going to we're gonna dive into Seattle more in a little bit. But one thing we should dive into right now before we get to the full Seattle preview is the Earl Thomas situation. Earl Thomas held out a notable holdout. He came back a couple weeks into the season, got hurt last week with no contract extension, finally of his contract, injury that's probably going to keep him out for the year. He was placed on the IR, flicked off the sidelines on the cart going off the field. He gave the bird to his own sideline, and I'm just going to assume here that it was not directed at the players and was directed at the organization. But... Looking at this whole situation, man, his holdout seems justified. This is going to be bad for teams whose players are holding out. And I, in my opinion, rightfully so, I think it's going to affect future players holding out. But how do you feel about the whole thing? You know, for, for those who were kind of criticizing Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack, this is exactly the reason why that they were 
holding out, trying to get their contract that they deserved. These guys are are essentially the one of the best at their position, and they are one injury away from no longer making the money that they were going to make. I mean, NFL is a contact sport as much as they don't want it to be anymore. The NFL is still a huge contact sport, and an injury can happen in an instant. And, you know, things like this is just so sad to see because you could see the look of frustration on his face. He he truly didn't deserve what was happening. And the sad thing about this, too, is it wasn't as though there weren't other teams interested in this guy. It, it was just that the Seahawks wanted a ridiculous amount for him. And you you had teams like the Chiefs, who, of all teams, I'm kind of glad that he didn't end up going to the Chiefs because, man, how stacked would this that team be if they got, you know, yeah. Thomas on the this So I, I truly think that they could have made a deal happen, but because of this, now the Chiefs aren't going to be interested in this guy. And who knows if Thomas will be that same player. If he'll be that same, you know, player that we all know that he can be, and he never got the contract he deserved. So, for everyone that is being really critical of these players holding out, this is the prime example why. Because now Thomas will never earn the money that he deserves. Now he's made his cap hit this year was ten point four million, which is it's a lot of money. And but I will say in for Earl Thomas and just comparing him to Le'Veon Bell. Bell was getting some criticism because he's making $15 million, I believe, this year with his franchise tag around that range. Earl Thomas's was less, but Earl Thomas is older, and he has been with the Seahawks since 2010. He made six Pro Bowls for them. He helped them win a Super Bowl. Three-time first-team All-Pro. Two-time second-team All-Pro. Last year was a second-team All-Pro. They This team owes him the right to either give him an extension or let him go play for a team that wants to keep him long-term. And he's going to be on a team next year. There's no doubt about it. Somebody's going to sign him. But he lost money with that injury. He lost probably a good chunk of change. And if the team just let him walk or really gave him the money he would have deserved because he's done a lot for that organization, more than a lot of players have in the history of the franchise – I don't think it's fair for you know they let Sherman go, they wouldn't. I don't know, man. It's it's not fair to him, and I think it's a bad look for the Seahawks to let one of the best players in the history of their franchise to do him dirty like that. For sure, I mean this this when you think of Earl Thomas, no matter where he ends up, unless he has like a Super Bowl moment with another team, you know. He'll always be synonymous with the with the Seattle Seahawks, and that's going to be a shame now because Thomas will probably never want to be known as a Seattle Seahawk because I, I'm more than certain that Thomas is going to do everything in his power to be to to be in another uniform next season. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was in his position, I'd want to be. No, I, I don't blame him at all, and I think it's time heals all wounds, but that one's going to take a while to soften the blow, and I mean, out of the Legion of Boom, 
Sherman was probably the most notable because he, he's loud and he obviously, <laughs> yeah, he was a great player, but he was kind of the face of the Legion of Boom because he was loud and he was one of the best corners in the league for a long time. But Thomas was probably the best out of the four. If you look at his career and his overall just play, I'd have my hair above Sherman. And that's going to be a wound that is going to take a long time to heal for him to come back to Seattle unless they do right by him and offer him a contract in the offseason, which they probably won't. And it's like if they're going in a different direction and they want to rebuild, they should have traded him. I don't care what they get back. I know he's under contract. I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, you got to play off your contract. I think he's earned the right to either get traded or get an extension. I, If we have a guy come up like that in later years, maybe it's Aaron Donald near the end of his contract or Todd Gurley or whatever. If we want to move on, we shouldn't hold them in limbo like that if they're good enough to earn a second contract. And those guys would have earned the right to either get an extension or leave at that point. But that's a role that we're going to have to cross with the Rams a long time from now. But before we get into our Seahawks preview here, let's give a quick shout out to another one of our sponsors. And that is the golden Ram barbershop, a place that Johnny has been to and they made him look fantastic. If you're looking to support one of your own and a member of the Ramley in the orange County area, and you like that old school classic vintage barbershop experience, you should check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 1375 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. The zip code on that is 92683. Our friend Sal Martinez opened his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis, and he's kept the lights on ever since. And luckily, the team came back to his place, and now he's got a shop in the right town for the right team. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS or 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK. He knows who sent you, and you can get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturdays from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sundays, he's going to be doing what you're doing, watching football, not working. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to Sal shop is worth it. Not only to enjoy all the great mem- Rams memorabilia, and as Johnny's put in the past, it's kind of like walking into a Rams museum. But Sal provides that old school barbershop experience. He'll talk Rams football with you and anything else you want to talk about. Trust me, guys, it's an experience you won't regret, and it'll make you look better. All right, our week five matchup is with the aforementioned Seattle Seahawks. The last time we played them in Seattle, we won 42-7. to in a just absolute destruction of the Seattle Seahawks. Just destroyed them on every level. One of the greatest single Rams victories I think any of us have seen in our lifetimes following the teams was just so enjoyable on every level to see the Rams just pound the Seahawks into the ground the way they did in that game. And we'll be hoping for another one. But right now the Seahawks are on a two-game win streak, and they've played the Cowboys in the Cardinals and those two wins. Their losses are to the Broncos and the Bears. Bears are a good team. Broncos, eh, they're all right. Do you have any concern that this is going to be a trap game? Anytime you go to Seattle, you know, their 12th man is a threat no matter what. All that said, I have absolutely zero concern in this game. I would be severely disappointed if this game is even close. You know, just just because 
as we as we mentioned, the the Cowboys and the Cardinals are their two wins. Both teams are terrible, and and keep in mind that they barely won the the Cardinals. It, if the Cardinals were semi bet uh, were just slightly better offensively. This is a much different conversation, and I, I have a feeling that the Cardinals have one win. So that's saying a lot. It really is. So yeah. <laughs> ultimately, I would be really surprised to see the to see if Seattle ends up with their third win in a row. Sebastian Janikowski put one through the uprights as time expired for them to beat the Arizona, the winless Arizona Cardinals. So. That kind of tells you what you need to know. They did have a nice win against Dallas, though. Dallas is, I don't think they're that great this year, but they're they are better than Arizona. So I guess if you want to give them some credit, you can, looking at their numbers. Their defense, surprisingly good stats, 7th in yards allowed, ninth in points allowed. Pass defense is 6th best in the NFL, but again, Look at who they've played. The quarterbacks they played, I will read them off in order. Case Keenum, Mitch Trubisky before he became God last week, Dak Prescott, <laughs> and Josh Rosen in his first ever NFL start. The running defense, on the other hand, is not looking good. They're six worst in the league. But again, look at who they played. Week one, they got Denver's rushing attack, who is second in the league right now. Maybe that's in part to playing the Seahawks, but they did not perform hard right in that game. They gave 146 yards. They played the Bears and Jordan Howard, who has not been good in Week 2. They got torched by Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys. And then David Johnson had his best rushing performance of the year against them. So they're off. their rushing defense is not looking good. Their passing defense is looking good. But do, do you think that the passing defense was more of a – matter of who they played or is it something that should give the Rams any pause it's a combination of both there I I do think that you have to look at who they played for sure again I I don't want to undervalue the the Seahawks at home because that does mean a little something but all that being said we mentioned it before in um Todd Gurley being the best running back in the league, or at least one of them. And you're looking at one of the best passing offenses in the league against a seriously scary three wide receiver, you know, option there. Plus a vastly improved Jared Goff. And now you're facing, you know, this really scary offense without Earl Thomas. Yeah. (laughs) Who in my... In my eyes, it was their best player. Not 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 only on defense, but overall, I would say that was their best player. I might so I might give that mantle uh, to Russell Wilson, but your point does still stand. Oh no, I, I still stand by my decision. I'll butt heads with you there, man. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, Earl Thomas. I, I do like Earl Thomas that much. I think he's a solid safety. And to lose him is going to be huge for this defense who you've already mentioned is not that great to begin with. So I, I would be really shocked to see the the Rams struggle against the Seahawks. Uh, it wouldn't be that shocking that they might struggle early on, but 
you know, in the end of the game, I, I expect to see at least double digit win. The, their defense gives me no pause. Yeah. And looking at their rushing defense, I know McVeigh, for whatever reason, likes to not give Todd Gurley the ball a ton in the first half sometimes. We should probably come out swinging with Gurley if they want to test the secondary, see if they're actually good in pass defense. I wouldn't mind that at all either. I think this the Seahawks defense is going to get absolutely torched. And I would say I think if there was a chance I'd lose this game, it would come from Russell Wilson playing with a huge chip on his shoulder from the, the blowout that the Rams gave them last year. But it's hard to have any positive thoughts about this Seahawks offense. They're 26 in total yards. They're 22nd in scoring. 29th in passing with one of the best quarterbacks in the league and 17th in rushing. So, I mean, our pass defense is a little banged up right now, but Doug Baldwin is the best receiver in Seattle. I have no concerns about Marcus Peters locking him down. This will be a good adjustment game for Sam Shields and maybe Troy Hill sneaks in there. You never know, but it'll be a good adjustment for the rest of the secondary after and, P- and Peters with his injury having to go against a really, really good passing offense last week. Still playing a good quarterback, but that man you know, that man must have nightmares when he plays the Rams and Aaron Donald. And now he has to deal with Donald and Sue. It's a bad offensive line, and I just... The, the makings of a trap game are there. Everything we're saying right now is just spelling out trap game, division rival, not looking good. We crushed them last year. One of the best quarterbacks in the league. Good coach. At home. In a hard environment. The trap game makes things are there. But just like. I, They're not good. They're not good. And I can't see it at all with how we're playing right now. We're not losing. We're not even giving an inch to teams that we should be dominating. We're dominating them. And for that reason. I'm going to predict a 38-10 to 10 victory for the Rams. You know that. M- I'm I'm really surprised because of the two of us, I would say Steve is the more conservative person here. But seeing a 38 to 10 prediction at home against the Seattle Seahawks, I I mean, hats off to you, Steve. I, I'm proud of you, man. I picked the Rams but, to lose this game before the year, but just because <laughs> like because of the trap game implications, not really that I had any faith in Seattle. This game in Minnesota, I picked them to lose because of what happened last year, even though it was opposite ends of the spectrum of what happened last year. Now, I did change both of those picks going into the game, but the Vikings pick I stand by more because, I don't know, they they did look good against us. That was just Jared Goff had something to prove damn well that game. But this this is as much of a trap game I've ever seen was just because of how we're talking. But I I don't think we're going to fall for the trap. I just I don't think it's going to happen. I will go into my more hastier prediction, and I'm, I, I think I'm, I still haven't been as close as you have been uh, as of late. But I'm going to continue my absurd predictions and go 52 to seven. <laughs> <laughs> the way the the way the Rams like if they played like they did last week, that's probably going to be the score of the game. They're probably going to drop 52 points if they play like they did against the Vikings. I mean, they, they punted a couple times in that game. They missed a couple field goals, and they still scored 38 points. 
I I just I don't see a world where Seattle can win this game because of just how they're playing. We are not the Cowboys. No, we are not the Cowboys. We're not the Cardinals. And we're and not... they turned over the ball on a on a Johnny Hecker pass to a no to a no catch right. Uh, rental. Right. Yeah. Like there was a lot of well, not a lot, but there was a good amount of lost possessions in that game, and we still finished with the score we had. I can't see a world we lose, man, and I'm I'm glad we're saying that because it is nice. There's some really loud thunder outside of here in New York. I'm a bit startled. Um, I want I but yeah, we got Seattle. It should be a win. It'll be a rough podcast after, but we need to keep in mind that this could be a trap game, and it's a trap that we shouldn't fall for. But the makings are there, and man, it'll be nice to see. We have we're on a road trip right now, but we play Seattle, Denver, and San Francisco. I think we might be seven and zero. That'll be nice to be able to go on this road trip and win like that. Hey, I wonder who predicted a seven and zero start. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't know. I I knew. I thought we looked good, man. But we look in, like we're the best team in the league, like bar none. I thought we would be one of the best teams in the league, if not the best. But I didn't think I'd feel so confident and not like a homer in saying that we're the best right now. It's weird. It, we're now. It's weird. It's just the the pessimist in me of being a Rams fan for so long and being so utterly disappointed almost every year. It's just it's weird to to be and it, it's weird when it's acceptable to be a homer, you know, because it is right now. All right, I want to wrap up with my fantasy five of first quarter of the NFL season fantasy awards. Hey, award show. All right, we're going to start off with the fantasy MVP. And I'll give an honor, I'll mention my guy Todd Gurley, as well as Melvin Gordon, Michael Thomas, and Pat Mahomes. But it has to be Alvin Kamara. He has only ran for 100 yards in one game, but he has had at least 100 either receiving yards or rushing yards in three out of four games. And the games he didn't, he finished with 99 yards. So he's 99 total yards or above in every game this year. He's eclipsed 200. Is that true? He's come close to 200. But he's tied with Todd Gurley in touchdowns with six. He's had multiple six-touchdown games. And the his Week 2 performance against Cleveland was fine. It wasn't what you'd hope. But his Week 3 game where if he didn't, he didn't score a touchdown, but... He had 15 receptions for 124 yards. I mean, all the nonsense that we heard that Alvin Kamara isn't sustainable. Guess what, guys? It doesn't matter because he's this good. He's just guys are just this good. Todd Gurley proved it last year. They're the two, probably the two top running backs in the league right now. It'll be interesting to see how the Saints work Mark Ingram back into the mix. If I had to guess, he'd probably get more goal line work. It would take away from Kamara in that regard, but it's it's going to be hard for them to take away any work from Kamara. I mean, who do you have your your fantasy MVP right now? You know, it, it's hard to not say Pat Mahomes. You know, this guy has just been uberly unbelievable, man. Like this, and he just really came out of nowhere as well. I, you know. I don't really want to say him just because, he, you know, I, I imagine that that's what everyone would say. And it's real easy to say, you know, quarterback. 
So I'm just going to say Michael Thomas because (laughs) mainly because what I've seen him do and, you know, this is a guy that's going to consistently give you, you know, 20 plus points a week at, at least at the very least. I mean, this guy is capable of giving you 30 or 40 points and this is a wide receiver. And I have to say, I loved his quote, uh, you know, the other, uh, I think it was like a week ago where he said, I just let my, you know, my play on the field do the talking for me. And he was speaking on regards to uh, wide receiver divas in, in the league. And that's so true. We don't know, we, we don't talk about Michael Thomas as much as we should because he doesn't talk. Yep. Yeah, Michael Thomas, he had a down week last week, but it doesn't matter because his first three games were so good. Week one, 180 yards and a touchdown. Week two, 89 and a touchdown. Week three, 129 yards, no touchdowns. But I had him in my honorable mentions. I mean, it's it's hard to knock him. Mahomes, he's kind of just spelling out reasons why, and Goff too, just why you shouldn't take a quarterback early because guys like that are waiting in the back. I, I hate to say that I don't own Mahomes in any leagues, and I wish I did. I wish I would have waited a little longer and drafted him as my quarterback, but he is on fire, and Michael Thomas as well. I think his bad game this week is a fluke. He's going to be fine. A lot of good players, but the biggest bust for me right now, and I hate to say it because he has been banged up and he has suffered injuries, but it, for me it's Dalvin Cook, and I don't like to give – Injured players, this notion of the biggest bust. And if I was going to go someone non-injured, I think I would go with Demarius Thomas, who has just been just a jo- like near droppable. If he, if you, if someone dropped Demarius Thomas right now, I would not judge them, and I wouldn't jump to the waiver wire to pick him up. But Dalvin, yeah, he's been banged up. But week one, he averaged two point five yards a carry. Week two, he averaged three point eight. Not bad. But 10 rushes for 38 yards is not ideal. Last week, he had 10 rushes for 20 yards. He didn't get the receiving work because he was on kind of a snap count. Weeks 1 and 2, he had at least 50 yards receiving. But he's just been frustrating to own, man. And even if he gets the receiving work that it seems like he will, which is a positive, it's hard to trust a guy who's running for 2.5 yards or under per carry twice this year. And for that reason, he's going to take home my first quarter bust. And I hope he picks it up because I do own him in a couple weeks. Uh, for me, I'd have to say David Johnson. Just because I know we kind of turned it up a little bit last week. But at the same time, this is a guy that is considered a top three pick every year. And the type of production he's done so far has not been at all the type of numbers you would come to expect for a top three pick. So for me, you know, thankfully I don't own Johnson, but you know, for all the Johnson owners out there, it's just gotta be so disappointing owning this guy because he is not getting you that production you need from your, you know, easily your your first round pick. So for me, that that's who my biggest bust would be. Yeah, last week, hopefully a sign of better things to come. He ran for 71 yards, had a touchdown, 41 yards receiving. 
obviously the first three weeks were absolutely abysmal. He salvaged a couple of them with touchdowns, but he didn't. The highest total yards he had in each any of those first three games was sixty-seven. And I, I get where you come from. You know, I don't. I think things are going to look up for him, but you didn't draft David Johnson where you drafted him to be what he's been. And unfortunately, he's. I could still see him being an RB one on the lower end, but with the way the offense is, he's not going to be the guy you drafted him to be, and that's unfortunate. This award is going to be the most frustrating player to own award, and it is a tie between two guys here, one due to injury and one not due to injury. The first is Leonard Fournette, who we know when he's out there, he's so damn good, but he's just the injuries have been hampering him. He came back last week. He tweaked his hammy again. He's probably going to be out for a week or two. For those guys who don't have TJ Yeldon, it's not going to be too good for you. It it sucks because Fournette was a first or second round pick in just about every league, and he's not out there, and it's just frustrating. You knew the injuries were a risk when you drafted him. It's frustrating to see. The other guy is Amari Cooper, who, if you look at his total stats, are not bad. On the year... Let me give you his four-game totals here. 270 yards, so that's 67.5 yards per game, 5.3 receptions. Um, He scored one touchdown. But, like, week one, he had nine yards. Week two, he had 116. Week three, he had 17. Week four, 128 and a touchdown. So he is just becoming the new boomer bust guy in fantasy. And there's nobody more frustrated on than that, especially – for likely where you drafted Amari Cooper. For me, I just you gotta lock him in and you gotta keep him in because you don't want to miss out on those games. And it's the type of guy where you don't play him when he goes off, you play him he doesn't. You know, it's just it's one of those guys and those are the most frustrating players to own. Give me a guy like Golden Tate any day over that. Yeah, Amari Cooper is someone I could definitely agree with. The others that I I have in mind is actually uh, a defense is the Minnesota Vikings defense to start the year. They started off with a bang and just, and we're one considered one of the best defenses to come in and, you know, yeah, they played, you know, against the Rams last week. So that didn't help much, but even before then, you know, playing against the Buffalo bills. Yeah. That that's kind of frustrating seeing, the Bills, you know, going off on them. So the the Minnesota Vikings defense is certainly up there. If I had to throw in some honorable mentions, I'd say guys like Derek Carr, uh, tight end Jordan Reed. Those are those are guys that are extremely frustrating to own because. Oh, whoa! Leave Jordan Reed alone. All right, what, what's he done wrong? <laughs> He's so inconsistent, man. You know, Look, I'm just saying. He's been fine. Tight end is. Is such a wasteland this year that uh, <laughs> if you're playing PPR, week one he scored a touchdown, week two six or seven for fifty five yards, week three four or seven for sixty five yards. It's not great, but tight end is so bad this year that you you can't ask for much more. Unfortunately, I, I he has as a read owner he hasn't frustrated me yet, but I get where you're coming from. He she should well, be better. I'll give you frustrating. I my I started off with Greg Olson. Yeah. 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 yeah, that that that'll kill you every time. 
And I didn't want to draft Olsen given his history with injuries, but there's such a huge drop-off because I consider Olsen the fourth best tight end in the league when healthy. Uh, And, you know, the top three obviously being Kelsey, Ertz, and, um, oh gosh, who who am I missing? Kelsey, Ertz, and Gronk. How could I forget about Gronk? The best one, yes. No, actually, I'll give that to Kelsey still. Whoa, okay. Yeah, I mean, Kelsey has been lights out the whole year, and Gronk, well, he, he's still Gronk, just the banged-up Gronk. Yeah, fair enough. You know who I think is the fourth best tight end in the league when healthy? Who's that? Jordan Reed. Oh, God, Jordan you weren't Reed. there. <laughs> I, got, I have to say this because you mentioned the Minnesota defense. I'm playing my uncle in fantasy league in fantasy this week. And, you know, the older guys in my league, they normally draft the defense kind of high, lock them in. They're there for the whole year. My uncle's got Minnesota. And I'm excited because I think he's just going to keep Minnesota in. The day the day of the Rams game, I check our box score, he's got Minnesota on the bench and no defense in. Minnesota scores negative three points. He picks up Houston, who scores 13 points. I lose the game by 13. So... <laughs> Had he left Minnesota in like expected, I would have won. And also, he had to pick up a tight end this week because Evan Ingram was on by. And I'm not even going to say who he picked up because I'm sure you could guess who it was. And I'm not going to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, come on. And I I watched the Raiders Cleveland game and saw him score a game-tying touchdown that crushed all of my hopes and dreams. Again, I'm not going to say his name, but he plays for Oakland, and you guys can deduct your own conclusions. It sounds like you were cooking up a storm. He doesn't deserve to be mentioned on this podcast. Let's move on to the biggest tease (laughs) award. A runner-up is Josh Gordon, but there is no denying that this award is a unanimous decision for Le'Veon Bell who all offseason indicated that he would play under his current contract. And what we know now is that he's going to play, but you didn't draft him second or third or first overall to not play until week eight. So here we are, Bell owners. I didn't draft him in any leagues. Not that I avoided him. I would have taken him if I picked where he would have been available. I did trade for him in a league, though, so I am excited to know that he is going to come back. And Pittsburgh needs him, and I know they're shopping him around right now, but if if the record is okay, their best bet is going to be to bring him back, no matter what it means for James Conner, because Conner's not playing good right now. Johnny, you're a bell owner, right? How's it going for you? You know, all things considered, uh, I'm not having that great of a year so far. Uh, I'm 2-2 two and two currently. But a part of that is because my number one, or well, not number one overall, but my first round pick in Le'Veon Bell is not there. So yes, this is the biggest tease. And and oh, let let me throw you something for a kicker, Josh Gordon. I also drafted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that that says a lot about uh, my team here. So once Le'Veon Bell comes back. Hopefully things start, you know, going a little bit more in my favor. But the fact that I still have a semi-decent team, all things considered, 
I'm kind of happy the way I drafted, and I think Bell will be that boost that I need. Hey, you're two and two without Bell. I mean, that's fine. You're not down your first round pick. You you can't ask for more than that, man. Next award and last award, end of our fantasy five, is rookie of the year. Now, I originally had Saquon Barkley here, three touchdowns on the year. He has he had a big fourteen reception game in week two overall. 260 yards, three touchdowns, 193 receiving yards. So averaging over 100 yards a game, scored a touchdown in three out of four games. But I'm going to go with a guy who had no stats in week one, and that is Calvin Ridley, who has just come along strong here in the last couple weeks. Week two, 64 yards and a touchdown. Week three, 146 yards and three touchdowns. And last week, 54 yards and two touchdowns. Whatever touchdowns Julio Jones is not scoring for whatever reason, it seems like Calvin Ridley is making it up, and he's not a guy that you spent a first-round pick on. If you even drafted him, you got him in the later rounds. Most likely, you picked him up on the waiver wire. If he's still on the waiver wire, go get this man at all costs. I mean, his six touchdowns in three weeks, probably not sustainable, but he's clearly going to be a target for some touchdowns here. And for that reason, I'm giving Ridley the Rookie of the Year award. It, and who would have saw that after four weeks we'd have an upset in the Rookie of the Year award? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ridley does need to be in the conversation for sure. And uh, I, I absolutely despise this guy because he's taking Julio Jones's uh, much-deserved uh, touchdown targets. <sighs> yeah, well, you, you might even need to throw Julio Jones as like a – as like a frustrating player to own, but it's not because he isn't performing. It's because, you know, Ridley is taking all the, the touchdowns away, but um, yeah, I, I would agree that Ridley is someone to consider, but I'm going to still say Saquon Barkley just because I feel like he's uh, going to be a great player in the NFL. And uh, I, I am a, I'm a huge fan of Barkley for sure. So I'm going to go Homer here and choose Barkley. Hey, he deserves it. There's, there's no wrong choice here. I, w- I will say that Julio Jones, yeah, frustrating is a loose term. Obviously, Leonard Fournette and Amari Cooper are different levels of frustrating. Jones is frustrating because he's so freaking good and he's putting up monster numbers. And for whatever reason, he doesn't get the ball in the red zone. I really, five of his six touchdowns have come in the red zone. Julio Jones is just, they're not, they're not trying to get him touchdowns, which I've never understood his whole time there. They just they don't try to get him touchdowns, and he makes up for it, which is ridiculous receiving yard totals. Two games over 169 yards this year. But, yeah, he had four red zone targets in week one. He hasn't had a red zone target since. It, it's just it's mind-numbing that he has not had those. But I think we've said enough here, and I think we can wrap it up. We're hitting about an hour here in the podcast time. Oh, we're over an hour-ish. Don't forget to follow Rams Talk on Facebook at Talk Rams. Follow me at Steve Ribeiro. If you guys have fantasy questions, something we didn't get to, please reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Steve Ribeiro. I'll be happy to answer anything. Facebook, you can find us at Facebook.com slash Rams Talk. And be sure to seek out our Facebook group, the Rams Talk Room, on there. And that's about it. Don't forget to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and IE Beat Radio. Johnny, you got any parting thoughts for the listeners? I'll have one. So I'll make a deal to everyone. 
uh, maybe to Rams talk, maybe not to everyone. If the Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks by 24 points or more, I will come out of retirement from Twitter and become, yeah, I'll start tweeting, man. I will, I will be the master of the tweeters. (laughs) Well, now it has to happen. (laughs) because you know now sean mcveigh is gonna coach up the you know the rams saying you know what i just heard johnny is gonna come out of twitter retirement if we score 25 or 24 more points than the than the seahawks so we got to do this guys we got to do this (laughs) hey let mcveigh know i wanted to part with this because i saw this article on rams wire and i just thought it'd be worth noting uh they put together a list of every time the rams have started out four and oh and five of those times, okay, so what do we got here? One, two, three, four. We got eight times. They made the playoffs in seven. The only time they didn't was 1995 in St. Louis. They finished seven and nine. Classic fish, even though he wasn't there. Uh, seven, so seven out of those times they made the playoffs. They lost in the wild card twice. Those were two 10 and six finishes. Five times they went to the conference championship. They lost three of those. That was 78. 85 and 89 those finishes were 11 and 5 11 and 5 12 and 4 twice they made the super bowl obviously that was 99 and 01 with you know the greatest sean turf years kurt warner and they won it once in 99 obviously but both both those times 14 and 2 13 and 3 and they're in the super bowl all right we just had to throw that out there so four nose is looking good and another stat they pulled i thought was really interesting 82% of 4-0 starting teams went on to make the playoffs, and 17 won the Super Bowl. There you go. All right. We will talk to you guys next week after a hopefully blowout victory for the Los Angeles Rams. We will talk to you then. Until then, let's play you out with our theme. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.